Jeff, keep that song going. Let's rock that one out, huh? <laughs> Folks, welcome to the blowout. We are the Sloppy Boys. We're here to have some fun. Uh, you got me, Mike Hanford. I'm sitting here with Jeff Dutton hey. and Tim Kalpakis. Welcome to the blowout. And we're going to, it's the blowout. Anything <laughs> goes here, right? This is where we say, this is where we say the patrons have paid their cash. They're coming in. They're having some quality fun bonus time with the sloppy boys and the the pressure's on us to perform because we're getting paid yeah Yeah. you at home can do whatever you want no consequences (laughs) that's right drop your pants (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna say this this is something uh we talked about earlier today on text we're this is a, a podcast about cocktails mixed drinks we got patrons our patrons are now are now called patrons that's it. You Patronis. The Patrons, you're out there. Guys, I'm drinking a silver bullet. Mm. Oh. Coors. Whoa, Seeger. Bob Seeger time. That's right. So, <laughs> and I'm drinking a Cosmo. Oh. I had such a good time with our Cosmo episode, I decided to make another one. You're drinking those pretty much 24-7 now. Yeah, huh? I got the stuff around the house. I'm just uh, waking up in the morning. Cosmo. Woo. I once made a really actually kind of funny song about um, gin and tonic, but it was called, it was to the tune of Toxic by Britney Spears. I heard that. I can't remember if I heard it here on this podcast or on the Kiss FM Billboard Top 100. I think I heard it on Total Request Live. (laughs) I make a point of sort of every week listening down all 100 tracks on the Billboard Top 100. (laughs) And I think I heard it there. Pretty sure. Who introduces? Is it Casey Kasem? Yeah. It's me from beyond the grave. <laughs> Casey Kasem's counting down the top one song. Casey, you got to do more work than that. Casey Kasem's a funny guy for our age group because I know who that is and I get the reference and I know the voice, but it's not like I listened to Casey right. Kasem. On the, so I know Casey Kasem as something that comedians are like, Casey Kasem. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember hearing him once on like, a Saturday, like early afternoon, and I was in the car or something. I heard like Casey Kasem just counting down, whatever. And I was like, "Oh, this guy A he still does this, and B is real." Did you guys know that he's the voice of Shaggy on Scooby Doo? No really? way, Scoob. Yeah, that's Casey Kasem. He's great. The, the classic really? Shaggy. Yeah. Like, oh boy, Scoob. That he guy. says zoinks, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I wow. mean, at this point, I'm wondering who then who does Scooby? Is it Wolfman Jack? <laughs> hey, all the radio guys are doing the voices on this show. Yeah, who, who does Velma? Maybe it's a oh, it's, maybe it's a Howard Stern. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, oh, whoa. Oh, well, Robin, uh, uh, Robin, uh, Robin. Robin, you know what I would do? You know what I would do? And you know, and the other voices on the show, what are, are they done by me, Ryan Seacrest? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> and me, Simon Cowell. Friends of Ryan Seacrest from our old show on TV. Have you guys ever seen The uh, the Masked Singer? I have. I can't one stand it. It was, <laughs> it was too much stimulation for me. It's so like cutty and loud and it's, shit. It's wild. I, I, was, I knew what it was. I knew like people were in there singing. And I watched an episode and I got to the end. No, it was like the last episode, like they revealed the final person. And it was, we realized as we were watching it, like, oh, nobody wins anything here. It's not like anyone's going to like win a prize for, I don't know, guessing the right thing or not being figured out. And it was just like, oh, he's the guy. It was Gronkowski. Cool. In fact, I think the celebrities want to be booted so they can get back to their lives. Mm. Like Lil Wayne was one. Like people really? who don't have time to be doing fucking twelve weeks of television or whatever it is. Do you think they're actually in those masks doing it until? That would be crazy if they weren't until they knew that they were going to be like unmasked. Yeah. Hmm. Then again, they could probably crank that show out in like what two weeks and yeah. just dole it out. Yeah. Well, I know that when Lil Wayne was on there, they had to work really fast because he had to get back to his scissor, I guess. Oh wow. <laughs> um, have you guys seen Nick Cannon's stand-up special? It's the weirdest stand-up special yeah, you'll ever I, see. 
Oh, is it from a couple of years ago, right? It's it's uh Neil Campbell showed it to me and it blew my mind. It's on uh it's on Showtime. Showtime. Yeah. And it's it's basically the whole time he's like, <laughs> "Yep, it's me. Can you believe it? you you tuned in cuz you thought you would see the other v- version from that show, but no, you're getting the real me, the stand-up me." And uh, he doesn't say anything shocking or offensive, but the whole time he's like, you're getting more than you bargained for, man. I, I think I have. I just don't remember much of it, but what, I remember being very weird. Does he wear gloves, leather gloves in it? Yep. And why? What version of him would we be shocked that he's not being? I think the host of Wild and Out. No, the, um, he had that uh, America's Got Talent before Terry Crews was hosting it. I think. OK, he did it. but. I think it just, it was literally that he wore a suit <laughs> on network TV. He was uh, wearing a suit and then on his special, he was wearing leather gloves. Yeah. I don't remember many jokes. It seemed very uh, hyper and very, I don't like to throw this word around, but coked up. Michael. I don't know. I don't know if he was, who knows, but it seemed just very, but I also don't remember. So maybe he wasn't. Oh, well, if he was coked up, you should help him get in uh, recovery. That's true. I should. It's my responsibility as someone who knows it. <laughs> Guys, what are we talking about today? <laughs> what are we not talking about? Yeah, we're talking we're, about everything from the Masked Singer to the host of the Masked Singer. You know, this <laughs> is a hot episode. This is one... Safe to say it's a hot to trot, this episode. <laughs> the movie Hot to Trot. Yep. Um, we're talking about the Garden State original soundtrack. Ooh. Wow. And now I want you to li- listen closely while I spin a bit of a yarn. That'll put you in the mood. What song is that? That's just like, so you're about to tell a story. Oh, so it was an original composition. It's far from over. Okay, we'll make it low in the mix. Here we go. Uh, uh, this, this, guys, this, this will transport you to a time and a place. It's the early 2000s in Los Angeles' San Fernando Valley. And the whole town is abuzz with talk of a hot new sitcom that has just been given the green light. A quirky, a quirky little show that calls itself Scrubs. Little does everyone know, the lead actor of this TV comedy is, in fact, a secret film genius. When young Zachary Braff hears the good news about Scrubs, he immediately quits his job as a Vietnamese restaurant waiter. Oh, interesting. At a restaurant down by the Beverly Center Mall. (laughs) But he soon gets the news. That his new acting gig won't go into production for three months. Ooh. So what does the brave man decide to do with his time? He decides to sit his fat ass down <laughs> and crank out the screenplay that has been kicking around his head since his film school days at Northwestern. Wow. A screenplay entitled None Other Than <laughs> Large's <Larges> Arc. Large's <laughs> Arc. Mm, by Zachary Bravery. Working titled film. <laughs> the Scrubs deal had landed Braffy, a fancy agent at CAA. Ooh. And during the first couple seasons of his TV show, they send his film script around town with a mixed CD of hand-picked songs that the young celluloid freak has been <laughs> listening to while developing the project. Eventually... A rich real estate guy puts up two and a half million dollars to finance this independent production. Garden State is shot on location in New Jersey. It screens at Sundance and an all night negotiation at a Utah ski chateau leads to a big sale and distribution. All night negotiation? All night till 5 a.m. Jesus. His producing partners and Fox Searchlight and Miramax going at it. Wow. I want this and I want that. Oh, God. I want more than even that. (laughs) Finally, upon the film's release, it is seen and more importantly heard by three little shitheads in Ithaca, New York, who would soon be known as comedy saviors, the Sloppy Boys. And the rest, well, that's rock and roll history. <laughs> you know the iconic blues riff that opens up that movie. 
Yeah, I, I like how the movie opens is that blues riff and it pans over to an old guy and he's like, well, Zach Braff didn't know what he was going to do. He started calling himself Andrew Largeman. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then he started walking around New Jersey. Let's catch up with him and see what he's doing. Uh, when and where did you guys see it? I saw it on, uh, I think I saw that in a theater probably. Yeah, I must when have. it came out. I saw it in the commons at Cinemopolis, I think maybe with one of you guys. Were we all together? Yeah, so we would still be... We, we, I don't think we were all together, but it came out uh, uh, when we were when we were there and it was mid-semester, so I think you would have seen it. I remember seeing the trailer more than the movie, because I remember seeing the trailer, I think it, uh, whenever it came out and being like, wow, this trailer is really neat. What's this movie going to be all about? And, and it did win, a, the trailer won an award. I know exactly it what you It should. Mean. The trailer fucking rocks. That was me. I I fully... That trailer got me. The teaser trailer has that frou-frou song, Let Go, mm-hmm. and uh, and no lines, but you're like, you're looking at this movie, and this is very much... We're prime, We're like in our indie film uh, days, and uh, yeah. and we're in... We're like Wes Anderson heads at the time, probably. Yeah, so was Zach Braff. <laughs> I know. Jesus Christ. But when you see out of context that that wallpaper shirt shot, right. exactly, and when you see the 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 handle of the gas pump is ripped off in his car, mm-hmm. you're like, what sort of adventure? Right. And and it and it's got Natalie Portman fresh off Star Wars. It's got Peter Sarsgaard. This this was engaged. That this is a trailer, man. The the what you just mentioned about the gas handle ripping off and being in his car. I remember seeing that and thinking like, whoa, this is going to be like a crazy, like Charlie Kaufman, Spike Jonesy type movie. Of course. And it's going to be kind of in, he's going to be in different worlds and maybe he's asleep some of the time. And it's just like a guy walking around New Jersey, moping around. And that shot, they just show it. Like at the beginning of the movie, he's just like, ah, my gas thing. (laughs) It's just like right Right away. Ah, my gas thing. God damn it. The movie did such a good job of selling the soundtrack early on too. Like I remember... You know, this is back when music was free. You know, there was, we enjoyed a short window where you could just have all the music. As soon as you heard about something, you just had it. Uh Pre iTunes or whatever. And Postal Service was my fucking shit. (laughs) And uh, so when that, when that trailer came out, hell yeah. When I see a dude with a shirt that matches the wallpaper and I'm here in Postal Service, Uh I plunk down my money, baby. Mm -hmm. So then did you want to pick that money back up when you realized? That that postal service version of such great heights is not, not in, the, in the, film. the movie. It's only the iron and wine cover. God damn yeah, it! Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I upon listening to this, I remembered that and was like, "Boof! This is, <laughs> what an era, boy!" Yeah. Well, I'll fall on my sword right away and say that when this movie came out, I was into it. I see through it now, but at the time, I was. Uh, it got me. Well, it definitely was a movie that was like, this is a guy writing the movie about his normal life and he directed it too. And that's like, everyone was like, I could do my own movie like that. Yeah, <laughs> it was exciting in that way I too. I shouldn't. <laughs> but I mean, he had that thought too. He saw, I mean, like, yeah, he, he saw Bottle Rocket and he saw Goodwill yep. Hunting and and obviously the graduate and Harold and Maude and the ones he openly references, but he was just like us. We were all on the same page. Isn't that funny to be like, oh yeah, my uh, influences for this movie were Harold Maude and uh, uh, Annie Hall in Manhattan. It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You went to film school, dude. Um, you know what's funny? You said, Tim, like uh, he had gotten Scrubs and he wrote this between the time he got Scrubs and it started. I had read that he was like depressed and all this about like he wrote this uh, script while he was depressed about working and being lonely and stuff. And he very may, may very well may have been lonely, but like he had a, a plum job coming up, uh, a show, well, he, a sitcom that everyone's probably trying to audition for. He's this is that's when he sat down to crank out the pages. He had been uh, the ideation process had already been happening because I, I did. OK, uh, um. That's what I was doing my research. You know, it's it's well. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the whole arc of uh, this this uh, of the how people feel about Braff. But he's a, he's a bit of a punching bag at this point. But I will get him credit for one thing I That's read. Right. Too bad we shouldn't take advantage. Of and that. I, we know that he's a huge listener. Um, <laughs> but I, here's one thing that I thought was very character building about old Braff is he had done some acting as a teenager. He had had a big role in some indie film, and then he was still a waiter. So he, and this this restaurant is like by the Beverly Center. So he had Beverly Hills and West Hollywood people coming in. He was serving the very 
film executives that he was trying to get jobs from. And he had that uh-huh. embarrassing experience. So that's all real. I think he just didn't get time to sit down and type until he had three months open. I see. All right. I take it back. Love him. Love the movie. <laughs> the, guy's, the guy's great. He's funny. Guy's great. Best writer of all. Love him. Um, no, but Dutz, I'm right there with you. I saw the movie was completely charmed, told everyone I knew because I was a Shins fan and it was very funny that there are two yeah. Shins songs from the same album. Yeah. It's an interesting move because it's, it's not like Elliot Smith in Goodwill Hunting where you're like, we have a whole bunch of his songs, but yeah. they just have two songs. So so when Natalie Portman gives him the speaker, the headphones and he puts it on, uh, I was like, new slang? I was just listening to that in my dorm. <laughs> <laughs> It did feel like a, ladies and gentlemen, meet the shins type of uh, <laughs> moment. Meet the fuckers. I mean, I can't imagine who is happier about Garden State than the shins. Yeah. Well, I read an interview with uh, James Mercer, and he said that he saw it in like a theater in Albuquerque, that he was embarrassed, like, you know, he had said yes uh, to it being in the in the thing, but that he kind of shrunk down in his seat in the movie theater uh, and had his yes. had pink cheeks a little bit. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, that makes sense now that you say it. Like, this song will change your, this song's going to change your life. And then your song comes on, it's like, oh man, you're just putting a target on my fucking forehead. <laughs> I guess that's better than the opposite reaction by standing on your chair and be like, that's me singing a song, asshole. <laughs> change your life yet? That'll be what the sloppy boys do if you ever put us in a yeah. movie. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um,. You know that if you ever see a movie in in Los Angeles, a lot of the time there will be people that acted in that movie in small roles going to see the movie with their friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one time I saw maybe one of you guys was there, but I saw the Entourage movie. Did we see that together at the ArcLight? Yep. <laughs> and um, it's sort of like the camera's just pa- pa- panning around an office, and it passes an assistant at a desk who has one line in a walk and talk, and she just says one line, and then thirty people in the back of the room were like, "Yeah." <laughs> that was so great. I love that. Well, I, I will say that the Garden State soundtrack is probably one of the more enduring albums of the of that chunk of time. Does that make sense? Mm. I feel like I feel like from my college experience, the Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, and Garden State are like way the fuck up there as far as uh, things that I sp- spun a lot. That's so, but like. You would listen to this whole album? No, what I did is I cherry picked it. And yeah, we'll okay. get into that where it's just like there are five or six tracks where I was like, yeah, this is great. And I threw the rest out. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't I don't think I gave it credit as being an album of itself, but I was so our college uh, uh, tenure lined up so perfectly with like the beginning of that big age of indie rock. And I was so on that train and I was buying every Tuesday, I was buying a big stack of CDs of like the, the bands. And then, and then it got kind of got a little more precious into little indie precious territory. And I loved all of it. So I don't really think of this album as an album, right. but I do think of this as almost like the- A mixtape. <laughs> now that's what I call indie for people who are not following it. Yes, mm. exactly right. And I think they did the smart move of starting off with a more established band, Coldplay. Ah, yes. Ooh, hit it. Don't panic. So that, that beat. This is funny because this is like the big- famous major label version of what these other bands are. So this, this is little Very dad friendly. This is the band that did Yellow and now we're making you watch an indie movie. And it does a great job of straddling the line between like, it's not quite sad, but it's very chill. It's that beat, man. That that Those drums in the back that are just like... It's got like, it's kind of like uh, the drums kind of race a little bit. It's, I don't know what it is. It's of a time, I will say. I was on board for the first, the first Coldplay album I I, I loved. Uh, when they slowly became U2, I sort of checked out. But the first one I was like, these are cool guys. <laughs> but it's not all like super sleepy acoustic stuff because they do have this like, this trippier sort of uh yeah the loungy kind of euro chilly vibe like a uh, track three the zero seven song in the waiting line which i already liked by the time i heard it and like you said tim when this came on in the movie i was like this is one of my favorite songs <laughs> yeah 
does is this do you think this is when he like pops some ecstasy and and is that a party sitting on the couch maybe i think you might be right um i don't i don't remember that but you saying that makes me think when this song was playing he was sitting perfectly still on the couch and everyone was moving fast around him. him. Yeah. Yes. I, I feel like that was a thing he did a lot in this movie. Uh, and this music is like perfect for it. The other, the Lebanese Blonde song maybe also might be, no, the Fru Fru song. Oh yeah. It's got that beat where it just feels like you should be, oh, we'll get to that song. It's a lot of set pieces though. It's almost like how a comedy has to have set pieces. This has the... The, the kind of mopey melon melancholy moments uh, yeah mm-hmm. it was like a big big uh music video yeah but um i was thinking of so we we knew some of these bands and we were into this music but imagine if you were you know 35 when you came when this came out you were like i get to hear cool stuff and i remember our uh our friend randy was at uh, uh was working at a job like years later five years later and his boss was like randy you're young and cool what what type of music should i listen to and randy was listening off music and then his boss was like how about the garden state soundtrack oh yeah (laughs) so it was a perfect thing for a a very rich middle-aged person in la to be like what's a cool thing for me to do that's funny too of like he just wanted randy to say that soundtrack he's like all right what what about those garden state (laughs) randy don't give me this other shit yeah I didn't want to come up and say, Randy, is the Garden State soundtrack cool? <laughs> Just give me one CD I could listen to. Don't list off a bunch of stuff, Randy. It's cool, right? After In the Waiting Line, next on this album, this is the big showstopper moment. New Slang by The Shins. This song will change your life, apparently. A little bit of tambourine coming in. Go to the curse of this town. So, yeah, this was like, I don't know, I'm not bagging on the movie because who cares what me and old man says about a coming of age movie. But how I, I was, I, I, I took it hook, line and sinker. I was a sitting duck when, uh, Port, when, when Portman handed over those headphones. I didn't stand a chance. We're sitting in the theater like a bunch of marks. <laughs> I shouldn't have been down there. I put myself in a situation I shouldn't have done Gold teeth and a curse on the town. I like the way that starts. Yeah. I would, I think my thesis, my takeaway from this whole album is that the soundtrack does encapsulate the sort of like dreamy, twee of a time feeling that did not age well as a movie, but works really well as music. Hmm. Does that make sense? They fit together so well. And the soundtrack endures and the movie does not. Because the film is style over substance and the style that they're using is largely the soundtrack. All of these artists have something to say and are pouring their artist heart into a song. And then and then the Scrubs guy's making a movie out of it. But I, I, I feel like with Braff, it's like he was 25 when he wrote this thing. So... Um, that when I think of what I wrote when I was 25, all I can think of is brilliant classic comedy sketches. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but you didn't have the music to go with it. I didn't, I didn't have the mix CD. You didn't know any bands. Yeah. And then here in the soundtrack is where, where we get to tracks five, six, and seven. Colin Hay, I Just Don't Think I'll Ever Get Over You, The Carey Brothers' Blue Eyes, and Remy Zero Fair, all of which were big fat skips for the J-Man. Well, they were, they're like tone pieces, and they're even, that Colin Hay song almost sounds like Nick Drake. That Nick Drake song that's coming up after, next is good, though. One, one of these yes. things first. But, you know, it's plucky. All of these artists, it's, it's, it's funny because it's like Braff is doing The Graduate, right? Mm. And then a lot of these artists are doing channeling is sort of twee things from the past. I feel like Nick Drake and Simon and Garfunkel obviously influenced the shins. Right. How could they not have? Well, I, I guess I feel like these three tracks, the Colin Hay, Carey Brothers, Remy Zero, all kind of feel like it's a little transparent that he's making a mixtape to like fuck college girls. <laughs> I bet it worked. They all kind of feel like music that you would put on a mixtape for your girlfriend or something. Remy Zero, the name just feels like from a different lifetime. I remember that name, and that is not one that I've thought of until today. One of these things first does pick it back up. Uh, It starts a little slow and then gets a little peppy. It's fun. Yeah, it's got some nice little arpeggios. I mean, 
I lo- who doesn't love Nick Drake? And it's also, you know, like, he's got the mystique of a guy that died young Ooh. and was a miserable artist. I didn't know that. He was from the 70s? 60s? Yeah, 70s. Uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think he's British, and I think he was like a rich kid, like a rich prep school kid who was very, very miserable. Maybe just one or two fantastic albums, most famously that Pink Moon song that was in a Jetta commercial. Do you remember that Volkswagen commercial? Yeah, yeah, where they they pull into a party and then decide to leave because they want to just cruise around the hills some more. That was a great commercial comparable to the Garden State teaser trailer. There you go. (laughs) Well, well, I'll say about the Nick Drake song. uh, There was a Nick Drake song in the Tenenbaums soundtrack, which which came out maybe a year before this. Oh. Maybe a few years before. And I just remember seeing Nick Drake on this song and be like, oh, this is like, you can't be like the guy who's like, oh, Nick Drake. This is already, been, like, guys already, like, introduced Nick Drake as his thing. Yes, and Wes Anderson did the thing where when he sent the script for Rushmore around, he had a, a Kinks mix CD that went with it. And, oh. I mean, this is, you know. Wes Anderson is the genius. Is the genius? Everybody knows Wes Anderson, so I can't call him underrated. But don't you think that there's a certain preciousness to what became hipsterdom that all pretty much traces back to Rushmore? Yeah, and yeah. that this one guy in 1997 makes a movie that is hearkening back to movies from the late 60s, early 70s that he loved, mm-hmm. and then he started like indie bands and everything that came for the next 15 years is all thanks to Wes Anderson. Especially indie movies because it made indie a genre. Now every indie movie has to have this kind of music, has to have hand-drawn titles, has to have character actors that you sort of know, has to have ennui. It became a kind of movie. It's supposed to be genreless. But it became uh, as much a genre as like anything else. That's interesting. I like horror. <laughs> I like horror. Well, oh, that, that that genre scares the shit out of me. Yeah, man. Uh, no, I know what you mean, Jeff. It, it became like a thing. An indie movie was its own right. style. Look at like there are a million of them. Like Running with Scissors, Juno. Mm-hmm. Like they all just have that same vibe. They might as well be made by the same production company. And then eventually, a lot of them are made by studios, so they're literally not indie. It's just a genre. And with music, major label record companies were putting out indie rock. And it's and it's uh, just a genre. I I feel like we everyone should pay royalties to. I don't even think you get the Strokes without Rushmore. I don't think it happens. Uh, You know, I think you might be right there, T. Guys wearing sneakers and sort of suits and things. And they they feel a few degrees different. They're all they're doing a Velvet Underground thing, and they love the, the cars and Tom Verlaine and television. But I think they all. I think we all just saw Rushmore. And that was it. I don't think you get Steve Zissou without Rushmore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not to mention the little fox guy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you also have some tried and true hits on the album, uh, on the soundtrack. Simon and Garfunkel. How do you pony up the bucks for that? Oh, this is a good one. Well, in my little research I saw, he didn't really pony up all the bucks. He had to show all these. These were the artists he wanted. And he had to show them the scenes he was using their music in as a temp cut and they one by one all said I love it and the answer is yes. Ooh, I wonder if anyone said no what what was left off. He says that no one said no but you know come on I'm sure that it was the movie was supposed to start with let's party like it's 1999 <laughs> <laughs> and Prince said no 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 thanks um, little sidetrack about Simon Garfunkel though this song do you know what it's about? Uh no. Ed Koch. Um, <laughs> former mayor? That's right. I had put my own meaning in, into it and just thought it was just about some disaffected youth in New York. Mm-hmm. But it was quite literally. Um, when Simon and Garfunkel started, they were their first name was, uh, was Tom and Jerry when they were a duo playing shows. So then later on, when Art Garfunkel started getting acting roles... He went down to Mexico to shoot Catch-22, I think with Mike Nichols. And uh-huh. then he was supposed to come back for a concert, but he had to cancel because he was shooting long. And uh, I just like saw this in a documentary. So Paul just literally wrote out, Tom, get your flight on time. Fly down the Mexico way. All of that. 
I was reading in all this meaning to what is just only exactly surface level what happened to Paul Simon. Huh. So who's the only boy in New York? The only living boy? Paul Simon. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's not fair for the, the listener. We're all putting some meaning into this thing. And I don't want to side drag us, but, you know, can we call him Al? What do we call this guy? I say we get him on the podcast and figure this out. He would love to come out of the blowout. (laughs) Paul Simon, I think he'd love to be here. Sure. I would have him. I have no problem. I have no problem either. Maybe we could talk about one of his albums. (laughs) His choice. (laughs) Whatever album he wants would give us a, a week to listen to it. I think we should have him on and we should just only ask him questions about the one track from the Garden State soundtrack. <laughs> sure, I could talk about that for a little. I don't really do a great Sir Paul Simon impression. It does seem like the heavy on the soundtrack, though, huh? It's the best song yeah. on the track. Every other indie rock song is trying to like be the 60s, 70s, and then here you got the actual thing. It's kind of the only song I like on this soundtrack. Are you serious? Yeah. You- you don't like new slang by the shins? Nah, uh, not really. I know it. <laughs> now, well, here's this. This is interesting territory here because Mike, you tell us your relationship with indie rock because I feel like, well, me and Dutz were going on this ride. I feel like you were a fish head. My well, yeah, that's right. My relationship with uh, indie rock is I don't know anything about it, and I think I've learned about most of it from you two. YouTube? <laughs> YouTube. I go on YouTube and look at Indie Rock. A tutorial? No, I think I, I, I remember uh, riding around in your car and like listening to some of these songs and say, okay, okay, this is interesting. Uh, let's kind of maybe get into some something a little more hard. A little crunchy groove. Yeah. Let's hear a little Mixolydian scale. Yeah, for once. Uh, I, I'm not going to put any of these songs on really, ever. Mike, wait, but we, remember when we, when we went to see Wolf Parade at the El Rey? That's right. And Wolf Parade was a band I was really, really excited about. And they're indie rock. And You'd call them indie rock. That is Montreal, as indie as it gets. Sure. And I, I was so excited for the show, and I loved the show. You stood next to me, didn't like the show. But then afterwards, you, you walked backstage and met the band. I, during, yeah, as the... As the set was winding down, I snuck backstage and watched the rest of the like last two songs from the side of the stage, on the stage, but from the side, on the wings. And then when the show was done, I went into their dressing room and they were kind of feeling down about themselves because I don't know why, but they were just talking amongst themselves. And it was like a tiny little dressing room. It was at the, what'd you say, the El Rey Theater? Yeah. Tiny little dressing room. So it was like dark and just a little room. And I'm standing there and... Uh, they're, being, they're down about it. I was like, oh, that was a good show. They're like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, San Francisco last night was better. This crowd just didn't seem to be into it. I was like, well, you know, L.A. crowds. <laughs> no idea. Commiserating. And then I was like, hey, can I get a beer? <laughs> and then they, they gave me a beer. I think they maybe thought I was, it was one of those things like, did you bring him? No. Did you bring this guy? And uh, I think I may have got a beer and a cigarette, maybe a cigarette. That might have been <laughs> overstating my welcome. But uh, then I got a uh, an autograph from the, the the front the front man. Yeah, I remember. I was so pissed because I was like waiting <laughs> waiting in the lobby. I was high from the show that I had just enjoyed. <laughs> and then when you finally came out, you're like, "Yeah, I met the guys. <laughs> the guys are pissed. The guys are pissed." And I was like. Did you meet Spencer Krug? And you're like, yeah, he signed this. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Spencer signed it. I think when I asked for an autograph, he was kind of like, okay, get the, get out of here. <laughs> you showed your, your hand as a super fan. He signed it. I said, all right, guys, have a great next show. I got to scoot. Come on. Feel better. So, Mike, it's more like you sort of reached the top of the whole indie rock thing, and we're just like, well, I'm sort of done. I met, uh, you know, I went backstage, I hung out with Wolf Parade, mm-hmm. I got the signature, I got the free cigarette, and, and like, now I'm moving on. Right. I, I basically was on stage with these guys. I wasn't wowed. No, I, uh, I, wonder if, I wonder if I went back. I had no idea what I was listening to. I had never heard any of the songs before. So uh, <laughs> I was just kind of like, I'm uh, not interested. Well... I do get your point uh, uh, in reference to Simon and Garfunkel here. It is very funny to have all this indie rock that's inspired by Simon and Garfunkel and then just deliver this awesome Simon and Garfunkel song. It's like showing your hand. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. When you're making a mix for someone and you kind of pick a theme, you don't want to then just include the one obvious song that inspired everything else. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
But it makes you the money, baby. Mm. Yeah, and that green stuff is, I mean, it'll... Spendable. Uh, next yeah. up on the soundtrack, we've got the uh, Iron and Wine cover of Such Great Heights, which is okay. one of the snooziest songs, but I do like it. This is like... This is like trying so hard to be... Nick Drake. It's its thing. But, it, I mean, that's your issue is with Iron and Wine. And your issue is with Zach for including it, I guess. <laughs> My issue, Jeff, is with you. <laughs> but, like, it's starting to be. I also like this tradition of covering songs immediately. Yeah, me too. I, I it's like think, a very 60s thing. I think about that with... Uh, it reminded me of like Jimi Hendrix doing all around the Watchtower or all along the Watchtower. Oh, I love I love that when Jimi Hendrix uh, covered Sgt. Pepper's like the day after it came out. I yeah, think that's yeah. cool. Yeah, I wish we had more. I wish contemporary bands like Imagine Dragons would cover the Slobby Boys. <laughs> that would be great. That would be fun. Well, but also we haven't we haven't uh, covered them, so we they're probably saying the same thing <laughs> on their true. drinking podcast. <laughs> it's one of these things we're both too shy to make the first move. <laughs> Now, Tim, did you say you knew this Fru-Fru song? I had never heard it before the trailer, um, but it, it reminded me of a lot of other indie music I was listening to at the time, and I loved it. Yeah, there seems to be a little, like, pre-EDM, but electronic influence in sort of chill songs? Yes. That, that's, that, that drum beat is like uh, the... the It feels like the same drumbeat everyone uses in this style of music. It feels kind of European to me or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, do you think that that beat, I think that that's an 808 beat, like one of the original pre-programmed beats. I like this song a lot. Me too. This is the song I was saying before, reminds me of like, you know, you see like a, a city street and everyone's sped up and moving fast like a video everyone's moving fast yes like Koyana Scotsy. it's this is the music that goes along with it or like an air yeah an airport or a mall or something it's it's almost like Bjork or Sia or something it's got like a, a Radiohead quality to it that drum makes me think yeah Radiohead. there's there's definitely a, a a song on Amnesiac that has this exact beat yeah very ethereal you know what's funny about this music, all the music on this soundtrack? I feel like other than Only Living Boy in New York, I don't know any of the words to any of the songs. What? Yeah. Does that make Does that make sense? Like a new slang, I know Gold Tooth and the Curse of the Town. But, <laughs> but it's um, like they don't have like uh, hooks to them. So I don't remember much. Of oh, yeah. It. I just kind of know like how they sound. Yeah. I, I, my favorite fish song is the one that goes. No, not me. My favorite song is the one that's like, the wheels on the bus are going around the bus and the, everybody can on the bus. The wheels on the bus are going in the bus. Well, you, you don't, Tim, you don't, the problem with you right now is you don't understand how stupid you sound. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is my, I'm fine with sounding stupid, but I should at least understand. <laughs> at least understand how stupid you sound right now. Um, all right, all right, all right. I, I get you, I get your point. Well, I think you... The, the the hero song, uh, uh, the Shin's new slang, it's interesting that that uh, gold teeth and a curse for this town are all in my mouth. I don't know how they got out there. It's interesting because that song is very much like this kind of coming of age song that I it's it's possible that Braff heard that song and wanted to write this movie or he heard Only Living New York boy and new slang and was like there's my movie between those two because <laughs> new york boy comma only living new slang is about getting out of albuquerque mm. it's telling that braff didn't keep making movies after garden state but i think that he should have kept making soundtracks does that make any sense he should like be the music supervisor on other people's projects or, or like you know well, he won a damn grammy for this one yes garden state won the grammy for original soundtrack that year but you know, I think he's really a skilled tastemaker, or at least he just had his finger on the pulse at this very moment. He tried to make other movies. It's interesting. I looked at his IMD, I mean, his uh, Wikipedia, and you know how we all have like a trail of projects that didn't come together, whether it's pitches that didn't sell or things that like got kind of far and then just heartbreak. No, everything made. I've pitched has been made. <laughs> oh, shit. 
let's say I did Birthday Boys and then Dunkirk. I picked pitched Dunkirk out and they made oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Those are kind of you were brewing those at the same time yeah. and you were like, <laughs> yeah. which one, which should I pitch first or which <laughs> network? Because you thought that maybe IFC would be a good home for Dunkirk. Said, Let me do my TV thing and then I'll pitch Dunkirk out. Well, I think that Braff has tried many times um, and then he and had things fall apart and then he eventually just did a Kickstarter movie. Oh, right. He didn't do any other movie. Oh, did he do another movie? In like 2013, he did a very Garden State-esque movie about being 35. Hmm. Huh. So he made Garden State. It came out. And then was he on Scrubs for like years after that? Is that yeah, how it worked? Five more, five more years. Uh-huh. Well, we got to hand it to Braff. <laughs> yeah. We do. Give it up for your Braff. Give it up for your Braff. He's still out there alive and kicking. And I don't know if you guys know this. This guy is uh, dating Florence Pugh. Hey, I did know this. Yeah, uh, uh, Miss Pugh. Midsommar. Miss Midsommar. She's, uh, for my money, far cooler than him. Whoa. She's in Little Women. Little Women. She was great in Little. Women. She was my favorite part of Little Women. Yeah, she's good. What's her character? Uh, uh, the little Lady. <laughs> Amy. Amy is her name. Uh, Amy Bowler. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, you know she's twenty four. And he's uh, 45 at the time of recording, okay. which is unusual. But hey, if there's love there, if there's love. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And also, I think it's sick. <laughs> Tim, I don't, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you were one of these reply guys, but Florence took to Instagram after she grammed her bow and there was a bunch of um, haterous comments and she said, hey. I'm not telling you who to love. Nobody should tell anybody who they can or can't love. And if you're going to talk shit about the guy I love, you you can get out of here. <laughs> you can screw up. I think that's a, that's a great sentiment. Yeah. I even wrote a little song about it. Hell yeah. Jeff wrote a song about this. I'm going to pull up my lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize this. Zach Braff, he can fuck who he wants And so can Florence Now just leave them alone As they pump away Don't peek as they get into bed He's giving her head But you don't mind what they do Mind your P's and Q's He can put it inside any Willing woman or man After scrubs That's when he found that He can move on from coming in gym socks And bottles and jars like his dad said <laughs> Thank you Wow, oh, that's very good That's great Very moving Yeah, jeez You know, it's funny It's <laughs> Jeff, that was a great song And Thank you. tied in great with this episode Because it's yeah, I recognize that song from the album. Um, the whole message was like, don't don't worry about what they do. Let them do their thing. Yeah. But then you got very detailed with the, what they do. The song, the message of this, I think you're not paying attention to the message of the song. Yeah. No. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I you're just dazzled over. by the surface. That's true. That's true. I get, it, I get it. I get it. Don't pay attention. Let them do their thing. Right. And even when Jeff's singing, Mike, it would be classy of you to sort of just not listen. <laughs> yeah, that would have been better if I just kind of sh shut my mouth, shut my let, eyes, let ears. Let have their privacy. The message is tune it out. Mind your business. <laughs> I love the message of the song. And I, I especially think that right now in this moment, a message of sort of like love is love is should definitely be <laughs> meant it, directed at two rich, famous people. Yes. 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 Two straight, hetero, White, cis rich. people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, they really needed you to come to bat for them and you were there for them. That's great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably get, since, since they, I'm assuming, listen to this podcast, I'm sure they will mention you and their next posts their next twitter posts oh they'll probably simp for you probably and you know zach has a pod so i wouldn't be surprised if he gets into the sloppy boys romantic foibles now and again that's true what is his pod all about what do you think it's about scrubs, scrubs yeah it's yeah. a scrubs rewatch <laughs> oh really yeah oh man you have to listen it's fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I haven't seen Scrubs, but I've never missed an episode of that pod. <laughs> well, so guys, what do yeah, what let's what do you think about the Garden State soundtrack? What's your final thought on it? The very final thing I have to say about this? The very last thing before you breathe your last and, uh, breath and lay in that <laughs> casket. I'll never say speak a word of it again. Uh, this soundtrack, I appreciate what it was for this movie at the time. I get it. I'm just not listening to this, except for The Only Living Boy in New York. Okay. Great song. <laughs> Great song. I'm just not into the other songs as much. Fair enough. I'll tell you this. When I listened to the soundtrack, I was walking to actually I was walking to get some uh, to liquor store to buy some stuff for this podcast and I started listening to this and it was really rainy out and it did feel especially appropriate for walking around in the rain I put this on this morning and I couldn't believe how quickly I was taken back to those halcyon days of room and board the quad the quad take me back to the quad hell yeah I think the soundtrack endures more so than the movie. That's my final thought. I agree with that. I think the movie is a whole ball of yarn. People, you know, made, loved it and then they made fun of it. And then it was sort of like, oh, you know, because it's like somebody, somebody pointed out in an article that it's weirdly an anti-drug movie and anti-meds. And that's strange. Hmm. Then it was such a punching bag that sticking up for parts of it is almost the more interesting take. But now we're just sort of in the 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 weird zone where there's just no reason to talk talk about it but for the <laughs> for the set and i just say hey whatever the guy was 25 that's fine he does he can do what he wants but the soundtrack what i was really thinking is what you're talking about mike you're walking in the rain and you're yeah. listening to this and you thought it was fitting i was just in general today thinking about the 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 concept of seeking out melancholy and that i had a, at 20 20 years old or 19 or whatever, I had an attention span for wanting that. And I don't know whether that's age or the era or, or what, but, or also living in gray upstate New York and putting on a melancholy song was more of like a space that I was comfortable in. But like as, as a 37 year old adult in sunny Los Angeles who has had bad stuff happen in his life. So I would rather be happy. I would rather put on music that makes yeah. me feel good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not reaching for the phone and hitting play on melancholy, you know? Yeah. You want to celebrate good times? Come on. I want to celebrate good times. Perfect example. Uh, 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 Bonnie Vare. That's an artist that I very much like and very much uh, respect. I'm almost never listening to them. Oh yeah, I want to party. Yeah. Same, same with like why I I respect Radiohead, but I don't listen to them. Mm. Yeah, you buy the CD, you walk into the garbage, you put it in the <laughs> bin. But you show everyone, look at me, I'm buying the hip stuff. I'm with the, I'm good here. <laughs> Everyone's like, fine, we'll tip the hat to you. Good, yes, yes, tip the hat, sure. All right, so mixed reviews for the old Garden State OST, guys. You want to do some mail? I would love to. I got a good one here. It's from Robert Persinger. Hey! <laughs> hey, sloppy boys. Inspired by your hit song, Breakfast at Bellevue, what are your favorite breakfast drinks, alcoholic or otherwise? Cheers, Robert Persinger. That's a BM for the handman. Bowel movement. That's right. <laughs> Drink it down. <laughs> That's disgusting. Okay, I mean, I'm very, very strongly... Uh, Bloody Mary Myself by a Mile. I like the other ones, but they're a distant second and third. Now, Jefferson, this will be interesting to hear what Jefferson <laughs> says, because he's not, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, he, he might have a different perspective. Well, Mike and I used to live together and we would do a Bloody Mary brunch thing. This is not at the big old dumb sketch comedy house. This is a little late. We get a nice mature. <laughs> this is a classy affair. I remember Jeff wanting to make this sophisticated. <laughs> this is a sophisticated, sophisticated drink. So I love a Bloody Mary, but here's the thing. I also, many times at this thing, would drink three Bloody Marys and feel like shit. Mm-hmm. It's too much salt. It's too much stuff. Too much fucking <laughs> celery. So if I'm going out, I kind of think a mimosa gives a Bloody Mary a run for its money. What? It's easy. It's so easy, and it's not so much salt. And you can kick back a lot of them. You know, you could you could you just drink a have million a, of them. You can have a three-hour <laughs> brunch, and you know, you can do a headstand and let it glug up your butt. But for the sake of being with my boys, 
It's a BM all around. Baby. What, <laughs> what other drinks do you think there are for breakfast? Mimosas and Bloody Marys are the, the ones Screwdriver? that- Screwdriver? Screwdriver's a, uh, that's a- Vodka and juice. Oh, yeah. That You're almost tipping your hand that you're kind of a hard drinking guy, though, if you have that in the morning. <laughs> Maybe we, I think we learned that the tequila sunrise would be nice. Ooh. Oh, yeah, that might be good. It's funny to drink tequila at a, at a brunch thing. I'm a big fan of the Caesar. You guys ever had a Caesar? No. Caesar salad? <laughs> <laughs> Very close. Caesar, uh, it's, hey, I'll just come out and say it, vodka and Clamato. Ooh. Oh, Clamato. That's interesting. It's clam tomato juice. It's from Calgary. It's a Canadian thing. Hey, uh, question for you guys. I, I do coffee every morning. I don't really even consider it a breakfast drink. It's just its own thing. Now, would you ever add alcohol to coffee? I I've never done it. That's People do whiskey and it's an Irish coffee, right? Yep. Never done it. But isn't Irish coffee like mint? Like Bailey's? Oh, maybe you're adding oh. Bailey's to the coffee. I see what you're saying. I've, 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 I've seen uh, coffee with Jameson whiskey. I've seen coffee with Bailey's. They At uh, Casita del Campo, they, they had like a thing that was a tequila coffee I had one time, and it was like, pow! Fuck. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird thing to do. Um, Tim, you sound like I, you were going into some sort of... Uh, some sort of uh, 1940s uh, Broadway musical thing where I've seen <laughs> coffee with whiskey and I've seen coffee with Bailey's, but I've never but seen I've a never. coffee with a vodka twist. <laughs> a vodka twist, a vodka twist. <laughs> um, I'm going to experiment with them. I think that I, in general, haven't loved coffee boozy beverages in the morning, but what if I made one of my famous hipster coffees <laughs> that I do where, you know, when I got, it's an iced coffee with the stevia and the, and the oat milk. The PBR. Yeah. <laughs> What, we should, we should, you know, we do this uh, podcast. We should do like an Irish coffee one sometime. Do it in the morning. There may be one on the IBA list. Hmm. Um, well, let's definitely try it because I like the idea of having booze and caffeine at the same time. For Me Loco too. And Jeff, I just got to give you one little capper to the to the Bloody Mary solution. Now, when I have Bloody Marys, I order a double because I say I don't want that much mix and I want to sip this thing for a long, long brunch. So try that, a double Bloody Mary. Tim, you got it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's all I ask. If you got a question for the boys, email us at thesloppyboyspodcast at gmail.com. Do it from your computer. Or your phone. That's our show. <laughs> Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Your contribution keeps the party rocking. See you next week. Bye, Patrons. Thanks, Brad. We love your movies. 